Welcome to Fintech Impact. This podcast is an exploration of the financial technology world, interviewing different fintech entrepreneurs about what they do, their story, and what their impact is on consumers, incumbents, and the industry as a whole. Here's your host, award-winning financial planner, university lecturer, and writer, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome to the show. First piece of housekeeping, just a reminder, as I mentioned before, I will be speaking at the Wealth Professional Summit on Leadership and Technology on May 30th in Toronto. For anyone who's interested, the subject will be tools for an efficient advisor office or something to that effect once I figure out a name. So today, moving forward onto uh, our guest, Paolo Berminski. Paolo Berminski is the founder and CEO of Snap Projections. Snap Projections is a relatively new financial planning software in the Canadian market. And we talked at length about tools and challenges to the Canadian financial planner and how he's helping to try to meet those. In addition to that, Powell also runs a podcast on growing your financial advisory practice. I just so happen to be a, uh, lucky enough to be the guest on the sixth episode of his podcast, and I think it went very well. Uh, we will attach a link to that in the show notes for anyone who's interested in listening. And with that, here's my interview with Powell. Hello, Powell. Hi, Jason. Thank you for joining me. I'm super excited. Thank you. <laughs> Good. Well, it's, uh, it's nice. I get to, you get to return the favor. I was on your podcast the other day, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. So, Powell, tell us about uh, Snap Projections. Uh, so Snap Projections is uh, financial planning uh, software for Canadian financial advisors, investment managers, and financial planners. We focus more, and I think we'll probably get into more detail a little later on, but we focus more on the kind of mass affluent market. Uh, so just not very high ends, just millions of dollars of, uh, of really huge clients with a lot of complexity, but re- really helping sort of more average advisors and, uh, and advisors who um, plan for larger clients as well, but just kind of be much more efficient with their process and really help a lot more people with financial planning. Good. So we'll come back to that in a second. Now, tell us about you, your background, and your journey to start this company. <laughs> That's a long conversation, but uh, okay. Well, let's just let's let's do it. Let's do it quickly. So, um, my background is software engineer. So it's just that's uh, that's you know technical background. But um, it's kind of interesting how um, I uh, ended up looking at uh, starting Snap Projections because when I actually came to Canada over 15 years ago, at the time, I, I for the first time I really noticed that Europeans and uh, and people in Canada here probably US as well, they think about money differently and they, they make different decisions. So for example, there's not a lot of uh, credit card uh, use in Europe and uh, the same with checks. I think checks are only in UK. So for example, maybe just the culture differences, but I noticed that people make different decisions and, and uh, financial decisions. And I very quickly noticed that some people would pay you know, just those uh, you know, 20 plus, 22, 3% uh, interest uh, rates on, on, on the credit cards. And I just couldn't really understand that. So it started bugging me, but it was a long time ago. And I think uh, so through my journey, basically building, uh, working with larger companies and building other, other software, software-based companies, I essentially in 2014, I started going back to this kind of financial planning or just really financial market. And I started talking with financial advisors and I really started, I didn't set out to build financial planning software. Just this wasn't the, the initial idea. It was really starting with, you know, how can I help this industry? How can I help Canadians make better financial decisions? So uh, people have more the, the, the peace of mind when they're still working and, and better quality when they retire. And so when I started speaking with advisors, I think, you know, 30, maybe 40, 50 people in just very quickly, we've noticed that there's some big challenges with and in, in terms of planning. And this is where it all started. So this very quickly led me to really working, just focusing more on the planning side. And then we started late 2014, we started actually building a product launched uh, May, around May 2015. So almost three years ago. Good. So... Basically, so you were talking to a lot of advisors about uh, what it was that they needed and, and what it was, I guess they were talking about their limitations on financial planning software, and that's what led you to this? 
Yeah. So, Jason, you're an advisor, so I'm sure you you have a lot of comments and opinions on, on financial planning software. But uh, you we'll know, get very to quickly, those. We, <laughs> we'll get to those <laughs> very quickly. I noticed that just even the basic uh, functions, for example, entering data or creating plans, creating projections for clients, this would take a lot of time, a lot of uh, a lot of effort for advisors because existing tools were just very old. Sometimes they were very old, maybe not updated, maybe a little bit, I would say, clunky even. And so technology was kind of uh, wasn't really updated. So that was that was kind of uh, obvious thing. And then we got to the point that uh, actually the output from the planning software, so the, the, the reports that were generated were very complex. So average consumers would not, would not be able to consume those reports and understand those reports. And sometimes advisors wouldn't understand them as well, right? And planning is not about entering the data and, pl- and printing out the plan and giving to the, to the client. There's yeah. more. There's the more the old 200 page data dump where here it is. And maybe that will just prove that I've done a lot of work. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it just completely doesn't, doesn't make sense. And I think the industry is changing very quickly. And it's a lot more about education right now. And uh, there's some independent even studies that are talking about that education, actually, the advisor can help increase the financial literacy of the client, of their client, the, their referability goes up. So that was a very interesting observation. And the last thing was really that just to focus on the education aspect, if you can sit down with a client and you can have much more interactive conversation, it's not about building the plan with them when they sit and watch you, right? But it's about you looked at their data, you've built a couple of scenarios, but let's say they forgot about assets or they say there is an inheritance coming down the road, right? And if you can make those changes very quickly, we've noticed that this really engages clients. A lot of advisors either would uh, meet, uh, let's say, with their clients in their offices or even maybe over just let's say Zoom or or, uh, or Skype, just video conferencing, and they would have those uh, sessions. And those sessions became very quickly something that those advisors and their clients, they were telling them that they're super valuable. So there was actually one session I remember, there was one advisor from Montreal that he told me, Highland advisor, and he told me that he would project the, the output from, from the software, the software on the, on the on the large screen, and the clients would just come up to certain numbers and and they would just point to numbers and they started talking about their life about their goals. So he told me that the software allows him to to show the life of a client on one page, essentially. And tell us about the interface, because I mean, what you've done is, I, I got to say, very simplified, but frankly, very effective and very and in that way powerful. So, Well, I think there's a lot of product, uh, sort of product decisions that went into it, because when you're developing any product, it's not just financial planning for maybe even to me, it's it seemed like an easier problem to solve, right? Because you have a couple of assumptions about there's inflation, maybe rates of return, and maybe, of course, income, assets, and debt, and maybe uh, some corporate assets. And, you know, how complex can it be, right? But, oh, but very oh, quickly... Me, very complex. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. For, for, the mass, for the mass market, yes. I, I think something, you know, a lot of times these plans try to smash a fly with a hammer. But yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, my practice, we deal with super advanced cases that, frankly, you'll you'll get dizzy just trying to follow up of, of keep track of everything going on. But that's the exception, not the rule. Exactly. And you thought, and really even simpler plans, there is a lot of complexity in them because I think, you know, financial planning, it's not, you know, we're not doing differential equations. We're not doing advanced math. But the problem is that there's a lot of moving pieces. And let's say you go to the age of, I don't know, 66 and you start making referral draws maybe a little bit earlier. That's going to affect maybe your TFSA or non-registered withdrawals, right? And if you cannot see how this information flows and updates very quickly, then you're going to be spending a lot of time on that. So before actually even starting developing the software, we thought about 
what would be our assumptions about the product? What are sort of product core beliefs? So we have this five core beliefs and all starting with, with software being effective. We, and we can actually go one by one to this if you're interested, because that's really helps us to shape the software in a certain way. The, really the first belief though was that the software had to be effective and really helps, it is really needed to help genuinely help Canadians make better financial decisions. So it's just not about leading to product sales, right? If, if the product is appropriate, then of course the product sales makes sense, right? But it's going to be all about help making people better decisions. And uh, the other belief, and I don't think a lot of people have this kind of belief, especially in the fintech space, but I do believe that we cannot replace an advisor. I think financial planning is its not an area where we can actually replace an advisor. I think I'm more thinking about equipping a great fiduciary mindful advisor with amazing tools so that advisor can be extremely efficient, but it's not about replacing the advisor, right? So the, yeah, so the interesting. I think there's definitely two camps that there is the entire we're going to replace all humans approach that I've definitely seen and the likes of Wealthfront have, have very much pushed. But it's interesting. And one of the reasons why I started the podcast is because the vast majority of the fintechs I meet typically are looking to work in collaboration with advisors. And I think for the very reasons that we're going to discuss or we've discussed elsewhere, which is essentially like, you know, there's there's a human element here that cannot be crossed by fintech. You're dealing with people's emotions, their their sensitivities, their preferences, their you know these are these are things that you know you can't quite quantify. Absolutely. So we think about planning tool as a, as a tool that basically is going to help and maybe nudge and, and guide the advisor and the client. So for example, to see the issues and opportunities, right? And we definitely have a lot of work to to get fully there because I think there's amazing opportunities and then we're just at a starting point. But that was really the first sort of tenant, effective, right? Then there is ease of use. And, uh, you know, you might be laughing because I think every software vendor on the planet would say that their software is easy to use. But I think we really wanted to focus on the software to be easy to use. So you don't need the PhD in math to figure it out, right? You don't have to be calling support with every single click. And also, so we don't want to charge advisors for training them on the software, which I thought is it's quite ridiculous. So, and of course, the other aspect, it has, it has to be built on sound assumptions that are simple, they're easy to understand, and they're also easy to communicate to the advisor and the client. So that was another aspect. And there's a couple of more. I think the robustness also was something that was really important for us because we wanted to have something, we want to have the tool that is, is very, it generates powerful and useful and meaningful output, but it generates this output very quickly as well. So we've, the, the way how we build the software, the, the way how we laid it out, it actually allows for that. And then you can go and make those quick changes and updates, and you are saving a lot of time as an advisor. So that's basically is the you know, interactivity aspect. And there's uh, two other things, uh, customization. So that's kind of more obvious thing, but we wanted also for the software to be incredibly customizable. So you can actually model a variety of client situations because in a lot of cases we're talking with advisors and they said, I like the software that I'm using, but you know what? I cannot make those changes about withdrawals, especially right now when we're entering the large decumulation, I would say phase. I think there are a lot of opportunities and I think financial planning, uh, it's not purely science, right? There is science and there's there some hard numbers and there's soft aspects as well. So you have to, as an advisor, sometimes you have to make sure that you analyze the, the client's needs and priorities. And sometimes we don't have this information in the software, so we cannot use this to actually make decisions. So we have to enable to the advisor to be able to uh, modify uh, the uh, how the software uh, works, the engine. And also the idea that you know, creating simple plans should be quick because if you're illustrating simple situation, you should be blazingly fast with that process, but you have to be able to model more, more complex situations. So that's customization. And the last thing is, I would just mention, it's accuracy and transparency, right? So accuracy is more on the tax side. So the software adheres to 
uh, latest uh, tax uh, legislation to the extent that it basically attempts to at least, and transparency as well, because in order for the advisor, and we've heard this many, many times on the phone with advisors, they need to have the confidence in the numbers. So sometimes they have to be able to review the calculations. It's not about the black box sort of predictive model that automatically comes up with the best answer, right? They should be able to see those how the calculations were derived. So these are the kind of five elements I think may sound pretty complex. So this was really the starting point for us to build the software. We actually had to agree on something first, and then we sort of proceeded with building software. So I got to say, I actually found your choice for the interface to be simple yet bold and actually cutting to the chase. So, I mean, for listeners who haven't visited the site yet, you look at it first and it looks like an online spreadsheet. And but the ability to dig deep and actually make a lot of changes you just discussed uh, while some and, and have it update in real time. And the thing that I think that's actually quite brilliant about it is that a lot of us will put in all kinds of data into the financial planning software and just to get to the point where this, the software spits out the spreadsheet that we can audit and ensure it's correct. <laughs> you basically baked that into the UI in the first place. So well done. Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, I think this was a big decision, right? Because for some advisors, they look at this and uh, they, they feel a little bit overwhelmed initially, right? So we, we kind of show them how it works. And then, of course, it's they say, oh, is this an Excel spreadsheet? I mean, no, it's not. It wouldn't be a good idea to build a software in Excel spreadsheet, right? But it's so that was a shot at one of the suppliers in this country. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, it's anything about you know, when you're not controlling the platform that you built on, right? So that that was a exactly. you know, that's going to be a problem. And the thing is, if you control this, then you can actually make the spreadsheet more, let's say, a little bit smarter, right? So when you go to HL73 and you enter zero withdrawal from rev, the software is going to alert you, right? You cannot have zero ref withdrawal at that time. Mm-hmm. So you're going to save time. No, the intelligence has definitely been in there. Also, your your outputs are rather dynamic as well. Can you speak to what those reports look like? Yeah. So once, uh, essentially, once you enter the data and go through the very quick process of setting up the plan, then really the, the interesting part starts, right? Because then you can, for example, see, okay, well, you built your baseline scenario. But even though as an advisor, you may have a lot of experience, you may want to copy that scenario very easily and test, let's say, a what-if scenario. And let's say if you let's say, may make larger withdrawals from rev versus non-registered, or maybe then there are conversations about you know, TFSA non-registered, corporate funds, and so on. And you can make those changes very quickly. And then once you, let's say, build a couple of different scenarios that you can actually look at this information visually as well. So we have uh, a set of interactive charts, and you can look at, of course, at the capital assets and uh, the estate and uh, also the sources of income. And the chart is quite dynamic, so you can turn off and on different income uh, streams. And uh, that also helps advisors to illustrate to get the point across with clients. And some advisors actually prefer more visual information, but there is another camp that uh, prefers the numbers, right? So we sort of provide both. Excellent. Now, I'm curious, has anyone ever talked to you about how about utilizing your software in conjunction with, say, some sort of touchscreen, large touchscreen monitor for presentations? Because it speaks to being you know, like you said, very visual, very collaborative, the ability to to basically do things on the fly with the client once you've established a base. I just think that that would be a natural a natural next step for people to use your software. Has that happened yet? I think, well, it did. I think uh, there's some capability on Surface, which we haven't actually optimized for Surface, but people started using it that way. And I think the opportunities to go in that direction are enormous. I think we, we're barely scratching the surface, I think, uh, so to speak, I guess. Uh, no pun intended. But I think technology is going to help us. And I think, especially right now, that there's a lot more technology to work I and mean, meet with clients remotely. I think that's going to be 
I think if you can basically bring the client and advisor closer to each other, right, and have those meaningful conversations and then think about what technology we can actually do to bridge this gap between them, that's going to be an interesting idea, right? But again, we have to optimize for sort of different use cases because some people, some advisors still like to print out the static report, right? And to give it to a client, maybe go over with the client and yeah, that makes sense for them. Yeah, absolutely. You need both. You have you have the you know the older clients who are going to want that. You have the people who want to get more pedantic down to the, the minutiae of the data. I typically produce a twenty page executive summary, but a ten slide slideshow that basically you know distills it down to the core elements. So, in terms of you know, tell me about the challenges you've had in terms of developing the software. What you've encountered thus far? Uh, <laughs> lots of challenges. Uh, Always okay. a loaded question for for uh, people who are start <laughs> entrepreneurs. Yeah, so I think we've built the software in a way that's it's kind of interesting. It's kind of unique in a certain way because when we did early surveys on the software and we had maybe a couple of hundred users at the time, it was maybe a year and a, two years ago, I looked at the data and when there was a one question specifically, I was very curious to find the answers to and review the answers. And the question was, what would you use if Snap Projections was no longer available? And a lot of people would tell us that they wouldn't use anything. Or some people, and, and that was shocking to me, oh, right? Because nice. I was, well, I was expecting that it would be, uh, some people would say, for example, Excel, maybe there was a number of competitors in the market. There's some really good software, planning software packages on, on the market too, right? But it was very interesting, right? Because there, we sort of uh, found a niche and we found a niche that people wanted to get basically to get to details, I guess, uh, get to business very quickly and see the numbers. So that was very interesting. And I think the whole process of building the product, I mean, the decisions that you have to make whether you build new features so you can serve additional, let's say additional, you can expand your market or whether you really polish the features that you have. That's a big decision, right? And you have to also make decisions on what is the area in the application that, that your, your users are going to be uh, using most often, right? And you have to focus on sort of on that. So that was kind of more product, the product decisions uh, and, and building the software. And we we're building the software iteratively, right? So just releasing features, testing, sometimes maybe even, even taking a feature away if we didn't find it was useful. And uh, we still have a lot of work, but uh, that was kind of on the product side. The other thing is, I mean, and I'll, I can openly talk about that. Uh, we are completely self-funded company, right? So we've, uh, we have, I should probably clarify that there's no equity funding that uh, we've ever accepted. We were supported generously by some of the, some of the grants, provincial, federal. But so that was a huge challenge, of course, right? Because you have limited resources and you're taking on, you're trying to build a product in pretty established industry when the standards are pretty high. So that was definitely a challenge and, and just building a team. But, you know, we got to the point that uh, we've been growing very quickly. And that was kind of interesting time for us because in order to accelerate what we are doing right now, we, we've been actually thinking about funding and maybe we're just open a little bit more. But that was definitely a challenge. So and that leads to me to curious question. So you're talking about things you're looking to accelerate in terms of growth. Can you tell me what's in your product pipeline? Like, what are you looking to develop at this point? Oh, wow. Uh, that's another big question. So we have, I think, <laughs> I looked, I think, a couple of days ago, and I think we have over 500 feature requests on the list. And some of them are well <laughs> okay. documented. And you know what? Just, it's, uh, you know, if somebody, you know, is surprised by that, typically, if you build some, if you build a product, you will have a lot of feature requests from clients, right? But then those feature requests, it can take you a different direction. So you have to be very strategic about adding those features. And really, if even if we have uh, even increased our development into, let's say, 10 people right now, we still would probably receive another you know, 500 feature requests over the next couple of weeks. So now I think it's it's more about strategic decisions, right? Because we have to think about what is the core client that we serve, right? What is this kind of advisor and who is this advisor, right? And then we're looking basically at uh, a lot of your features. So And, and I think there's in financial planning uh, space, there's still a lot of 
problems, I would say, a lot of things that uh, have not been addressed properly, right? Most planning software, actually not even Canada, but just worldwide was was mostly developed for asset accumulation, not decumulation, right? So the accumulation is, so that's definitely a big challenge for a lot of uh, people. Other functionality, of course, talking to other software vendors, so APIs and uh, some being able to connect data from other sources. That's so definitely a big are very much something you're looking at. Yeah, integrations, uh, the, the whole client portal aspect, right? And and we actually thought about it for a long time. We haven't actually done a lot in, in this area, but that's another thing, right? Because that's a very strategic decision for us. Another area, it's proper portfolio uh, stress testing, right? So it's not about building a quick Monte Carlo simulation and showing different rates of return and maybe, let's say, several thousand different trials, but really looking at mortality tables, maybe longevity, inflation, rates of return, different outcomes from bond market and equity market. And also looking, what are the spending patterns in retirement, right? What are the healthcare costs? And really, I think, I mean, this could be definitely a separate product. So what you're saying is that you're looking at uh, making a number of integration plays potentially. Yeah, potentially. So uh, I think uh, as uh, the software ecosystem becomes much more connected, it becomes also much more valuable when you connect to other players, right? So you're thinking about uh, pulling data from other sources, maybe pushing data out to, let's say, different systems, let's say from CRM systems and, and so on. I think we're early, very early, at an early stage because initially when I looked at the market, it was a while ago, there was not a lot of options for actually pulling data. So we build software so we can actually enter enter data very quickly. You can be, as an advisor, it can be productive very quickly. But of course, long term, I, I think just an API, a robust API and being able to talk to other systems is, is just a must have. So that's definitely another thing. And in terms of other feature, I think we have a lot of core features that uh, just the, the planning software needs that we still need to develop. And then, of course, we'll be thinking about uh, making those decisions and, and, and making decisions on what kind of features develop. But maybe we'll go towards uh, sort of the high-end features, and we'll think about adding maybe trust components. We have corporate component, simpler corporate functionality right now in some projections, but there's a lot more that can be done. And I think financial planning is difficult also to um, address as a problem because there's so many edge cases, and I think you can probably speak to that. <laughs> I uh, live in the edge cases. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes I do feel like, uh, you know, I live uh, just basically on this uh, edge cases as well, because we're just dealing with those kind of esoteric situations and advisors sometimes ask us about those situations. And really the interesting thing about this, if you think about it, sometimes advisors think about their lookup projections say, well, at the in the year 2045, I would like to make this kind of decisions and, you know, I'm sort of limited. Yeah. And it's not, financial planning is really an exercise in estimation. This is how yeah, there's definitely look at it. a need to do that in some cases. Like, if you know, they're going to basically wind down an individual pension plan or something like that. And there's going to be a, a this is going to be a known tax liability. Like, absolutely. But I know what you mean. Like, I've seen some people saying, oh, well, it didn't handle this one case. It's like, what makes you think that one case is going to happen in 40 years? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and if it's, and it may be, there could be maybe a workaround around that. Yeah. Uh, these, these are the things we're talking about. And also other things, for example, other features that we've been looking at, it's more of a more robust uh, way of, of doing this uh, portfolio stress testing. And I think that's, yeah. uh, uh, some, that's an interesting problem, right? Because it's not about running just a simple you know, sequence of returns or Monte Carlo simulations. About it's about looking at uh, the mortality tables, about longe longevity uh, risk, and just looking also at the inflation, the potential outputs or outcomes from bond market, equity market over the next 20, 30 years. 
and looking also how people in retirement typically spend money, especially there's, there's a difference. There's probably going to be a big difference between Canada and US, right? So those two countries. Well, the healthcare issue, but I mean, the healthcare issue is not getting worse here too, because I mean, governments in this country don't do enough for long-term care. And that's something that's definitely going to be increasing in need going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I think that last uh, feature, this is, this could be a separate, completely separate product. And if somebody would build something like this, we would be very happy to actually integrate with them because that's well, it's it. interesting enough because uh, the podcast, I think it was episode seven was for extreme. Have you had a chance to look at their portfolio crash testing tools? I have uh, not, but I will <laughs> uh, you take a look at it. So, I mean, they do a bunch of scenario analysis based on not just historical stuff, but making conclusions about like, you know, what happens if there is a multi basis point interest rate increase and how does that impact impact the markets, you know, at home and abroad and trying conclusions on what those correlations look like going forward. So yeah, that's, it's a very interesting thing. And you know, it's a, it's a common resonating conversation I have, and it's just basically demographically charged by what we're facing in, uh, in North America right now, in that, you know, we both have a baby boomer population in Canada and the US and that wealth transfer that we've been hearing about in this in this industry forever is finally starting to happen. And the big concern everybody always has is, will I have enough to live off of? So have you given thoughts into how that's all going to basically, you mentioned a bunch of things, but how you would possibly package it together or what, what the goal is for that entire module at this point? Well, I would say we've spent quite a bit of time time thinking about it, but I think just uh, even getting the design of that aspect, that's going to be very interesting because what we really started with and what we've done in the past, we really built the software in increments. So right now, what we've done, we've developed simulations called uh, sustainable simulation, right? So you can actually very quickly find out what is the sustainable level of spending for clients, assuming, let's say, their projections will run all the way to, let's say, 100 years old. And of course, you can change those parameters, right? But this is just the starting point, right? So this is just the starting point to building that feature. So I think it's it's a little bit too early for us to talk about you know how this is going to be des- uh, designed. I think there are some interesting ways of even just visualization of that information, right? That's going to be in- impactful. And I really want to make sure that also we not just being very practical, and I should probably say that we are very practical and, and very try to be effective and efficient at the same time. But we have to also look more at, at some of the research that has been done in this area. And I think uh, there's some there are some smart people who've done some research on that topic, so we should be, we should probably spend a little bit more time thinking about. I can introduce you to Moshe Malevsky, so that's a different one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take you up on that offer. <laughs> so that's good. I mean, that's that's a hot button, and I think there's a lot more expansion coming in that regard. In terms of the integrations, I mean, one of the big things that everybody's looking for lately is is right through processing. Are you guys looking at some sort of onboarding tool as well, both either either to build it yourself or to or to team up with someone like say a precise FP. Potentially. So, so again, this wasn't probably some, one of the biggest issues, but I think the biggest issue really, what you just mentioned earlier, right, was the question that the retirees ask, do I have enough money to retire, right? Or given the answers that I have, how long will my money last? That's kind of reverse of that question. For a lot of people, that's, that's, that was the core. So in terms of other things that other sort of challenges that come up is just the user plan onboarding. And then, Depending on the, well, the structure of the market is kind of an interesting challenge in Canada too, right? Because you have the big banks, you have uh, some small number of independent advisors, right? And everybody from those independent advisors, they do something different. So then the question really is, if we partner up with somebody, then what is the landscape of the market? If you build something else, if you build something on our own, then again, we'll have to maintain support that. But it's a little too early for us to talk about uh, you know, what we're going to do in this area. But I think, uh, again, I mean, that's another opportunity, really onboard client onboarding, I mean, digitizing the whole process. And I think robo advisors have done a fantastic job in some aspects of this process. I think it's just a natural thing to happen. It's going to happen sooner, sooner rather than later. 
One other uh, thing you mentioned as a possible development piece was a client portal. Now, have you given any thought to what that would look like? I mean, to date, the most successful company at that has been um, eMoney in the U.S. And really, theirs, theirs is really, you know, a slightly more built out mint.com altogether. And, you know, I hear a lot of people grumbling about the vision for what they think the real client dashboard should look like in the future. Have you given any thought to that or you guys have plans uh, mocked up yet? Again, nothing really mocked up at this point, but I think... Uh, I, I want to we... know what you're working on, just to reveal it. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely uh, want to uh, spend more time on the interactivity aspects, right? Because I think the, the, ability for, the ability for us to go from paper to go to something that's actually changing right in front of you, that uses behavioral aspects, behavioral science, and nudges the client and the advisor to make certain decisions. I think there's a lot of work I think it's not about that, you know, I'm trying to hide what we're working on. I think the size of the problem or several problems that we're still working on, I think that's a real problem. And the other thing is that Canada is a pretty small country, right? So, uh, so there is a limited number of advisors. So how do we make decisions about investing a lot of time and effort in going certain direction, right? So that's another kind of challenge on the back of my mind, right? Because we don't want to be building software for 200 advisors on the other aspect. And the other aspect, what I would probably point out is that what we try to do, we try to really closely look at what our users are doing and how they use the software and learn from there. Because not just looking at competitors, because when you're looking at competitors, you might be making the same mistakes. And I don't, I want to avoid that, right? Um, Racing in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and I think we've heard this, uh, I think goals-based planning, right? That was kind of interesting aspect. There's certain different interpretations of that. Another thing is uh, when you speak, especially speak to larger organization, larger client, then their compliance department may have completely different view on what the software should be doing versus mm -hmm. the advisor, right? And I think that's another challenge probably for a lot of uh, authentic entre entrepreneurs in Canada, right? Because we wanted to build the software for advisor. We want to make the advisor a hero just to be more efficient and more effective and not for the compliance department, right? But uh, so to speak. But at the same time, of course, you have to add those. If you want to serve, serve larger clients, you have to be looking at those more enterprise sort of great functionality. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's helpful. But uh, I think, uh, again, going back, I think there's still a lot of opportunity in the planning aspect because I think by looking at even a Canadian market, most of the people were very excited about robo-advisors, right? And they really launched barely 2014, 2015. So just, you know, three, four years ago, I think uh, there's still a lot of opportunities in the planning space. Agreed. So uh, before we wrap up, I want to talk about your podcast, which I was privileged enough to be on. You want to fill everybody in on that? Absolutely. Uh, the podcast that we've launched a couple of weeks ago, it's a Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice podcast. And your episode, I'll just say, it was extremely popular. I've received a lot of emails. <laughs> and uh, I think there's a lot of interesting advice. So if anybody would want to listen to it, it's snapprojections.com slash podcast. And uh, you can go back all the way to the, from the beginning or just listen to one to, the, to, to Jason's interview, which is uh, 006. Well, normally I would say just listen to mine, but the first five were John Page and I happen to be friends with him. So I'm going to say that they're all <laughs> worth listening to. <laughs> so, yeah, so people, if you're not sick of my voice by now, then by all means, uh, go, <laughs> go on and check it out. But uh, that was a thoroughly enjoyable process. And I think especially... I think there was a lot of really good business development pieces we talked about in there. And frankly, I think John is the, is the guru of business development in this industry. So definitely worth listening to. What led you to start that out of curiosity before we wrap up? A couple of things. First of all, um, I've managed to connect with a lot of really smart people. And I didn't have a chance to basically to bring the, the knowledge that I was basically able to, to, to encounter and to share with the rest of the industry. Right. We want to share this with the rest of the industry. And there's some really interesting people working on interesting things. And you all have some int very interesting guests coming on the podcast very soon. That was definitely one aspect, being able to share valuable information. And I think that that's what we, tr we try to do with a podcast. 
And just even uh, from our own perspective, just you know, increase the learning and just increasing the learning of the industry. I think the industry, I think the pace of the industry and the change of the industry is increasing right now. So that's just a really good way for me to keep in touch with uh, with great people in the Canadian industry here. Excellent. Well, Paul, thank you yet again uh, for making the time. It's greatly appreciated. And this has been great. So thank you very much. This was fun. Thank you very much. Take care. And that was my interview with Paul Berminski from Snap Projections. Hope you enjoyed that. And uh, if you did, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Thank you. And until next time, I'm Jason Pereira. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.